Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast. Europe's equivalent to E3, Gamescom, has been on this week in Germany, and Pocalint's Rick Henderson has been at the event playing games and catching up on the latest news. He joins me from the show floor to discuss all the big game announcements. And later on, I interview Sir Bradley Wiggins, five times Olympic gold cycling medalist, as well as winner of the Tour de France and numerous other races, about cycling, his new children's bike range with Halford that is launching in September, and how he used tech to train when he was racing. And Cam joins me to discuss his top three Marvel Cinematic Universe films following the release of Avengers Endgame this week on DVD and digital. But back to Rick, what is Gamescom and what's been happening at the show? Gamescom is basically Europe's answer to E3. It's, the, um, it's Europe's biggest video games convention. It's in Cologne in Germany. Um, and uh, it, there's a press day and then it runs for the public as well. And it's one of the, the weirdest shows um, as as a public show because you, it's absolutely rammed with cosplay as well, which is it's fun, but a lot of sweaty Pikachus, basically. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the biggest thing I'm, I'm here for is to look at the games. Where E3 shows you a lot of games and launches a lot of games, Gamescom is really good to let you play a lot of the games because they're actually much closer to release. So there is playable builds of things that you would have only have seen in a trailer at E3. And so what are the games that have most impressed, impressed you that you've seen this week? Without a shadow of a doubt, the main one is Cyberpunk 2077. It's constantly being talked about now. Um, I think CD Projekt Red, who previously did the Witcher series of games and the Witcher 3, which was superb in itself, um, the, uh, they, they're kind of turning into rock star in many ways because they only do one game every five years or so. And Cyberpunk 2077 certainly looks like they've invested that time wisely. It's based on a, a tabletop role-playing game um, and you uh, and sort of like kind of that whole idea, that William Gibson novel style idea of it's a sort of like a, a not too distant future where everybody can jack straight into computers through cables that come out of their hands and things like that. And every, and it's all about body modification with robotics. Um, but it is a stunning looking game. One of the big things about it is open, completely open world. So you can go into buildings, go out of buildings. You can talk to pretty much every NPC in the entire game. You can um, drive cars, you can ride motorbikes. You can do so much in this game. Um, but also, unlike a Rockstar game, say GTA, there's so much customization of your lead character as well. It gives you a lead character, but you can be male, female, look any, look like anything you like, have so many different abilities and so many features that you can use, which was the main focus of the demo at Gamescom, is that they showed us quite a lot of the different gameplay styles and how you can attack different levels in different ways. And one of the big things that they announced is that you could go the entire game without ever killing anyone, which is quite extraordinary. Of course, you could just go in guns and blazing, but you can do it either way, and I really love that. That was fantastic. Cool. And there are there any other games that you that took your eye? 
Um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Um, it looks stunning. They, because they've gone back to the drawing board and decided that all the other Call of Duties were getting a bit too far-fetched and, uh, and a bit silly at times, um, they've gone really down to the nitty-gritty and made it very realistic. I only got to play a multiplayer game, a 2v2, um, in a very small location. But because it was being shown on the NVIDIA, at the NVIDIA event, it was being shown with ray tracing. Now, ray tracing is a new... It's new technology that um, high-end graphics cards can do. And also, we expect the pro um, Project Scarlet and the PS5 next year or so. Um, and ray tracing, what it essentially does is it sends in light that is very natural. So you don't see big shadows in the ground. You see really natural-looking um, uh, textures. And Call of Duty Modern Warfare, with this ray tracing on, looks real. It's incredible. And what about hardware? If you talked about briefly, you talked about Xbox and uh, PS5 there. Uh, did we see any of those at the show or is there other hardware to, to look out for? Sadly not, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't sort of like some big stuff about around playing games on hardware. For, ex for example, Stadia, Google Stadia had a massive stand. And on that stand, they had it playable, um, although it was behind closed doors. So you couldn't really do much with it. You could just play a game basically, and see that the latency was really low. Same with Xbox had Project X Cloud, which also had E3 playable on the floor. But the two big hardware things that actually impressed me most at, uh, at Gamescom this year were the um, Xbox's uh, new Elite controller, the second generation of its Elite controller. And it really feels incredible. It looks and feels exactly like the original one, which came out about three years ago, I think. Um, it's robust, it's tough, it's over a hundred pound just for a controller. Some mm. people balk at that, but it actually has so many new features, like different switches on the back that can change firing rate that you can use, and just little tiny adaptations that you can change to completely style your own type of gameplay. That was excellent. I played around with that quite a bit. Um, the other thing that actually really impressed me, and um, normally I'm not a particular gaming headset man i'm not the sort of right. person that sits there with a headset on with a microphone and and, and 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 play games that way but um at the asus rog uh, republic of gamers event they announced what i thought was really interesting which was a new it was the rog the asus rog strix go 2.4 which is quite a mouthful yeah. but it's a new headset and norm looks a bit like a gaming headset crossed with, say, um, the Sony MX one thousand M three headphones. Um, but what what was different about this one is instead of being a Bluetooth, uh, instead of being for a PC or a console, it's actually for mobile. So that means it works really well on Android, iOS, and Nintendo Switch. Mm. And the good thing about it is that, is that people go, yeah, but there's a lot of Bluetooth headsets out there. This isn't Bluetooth. What it does is it comes with a little dongle that is a USB-C dongle. So you plug it into the bottom of a bottom thing or through an adapter on an iPhone, for example. Um, and it gives you completely lossless and no latency connection. Because Bluetooth obviously adds a little bit of latency. And when you're gaming, even casual gaming on a phone, that can be important. Um, whereas this, it's a direct connection to your device. So not only do you get low latency, you get really good sound quality. And I got to play with it a little bit plugged into the bottom of a, a Nintendo Switch. And I was playing Mario Kart, and it was it was superb. The actual um, and because it's really portable as well, 
you can you can get much better gaming experience just by using this one headset. I don't know how much it's going to cost, and they didn't quite say when it was going to be available, but it's definitely one to look out for. Still to come, Cam and I talk which Marvel movie is the best. Right, so can I just start off by saying how absolutely impossible it is to choose three films from this? Because there's so many fantastic movies and so many great characters. So I'm trying to focus on uh, the ones that I would definitely want to watch again, having watched them the first time. When you're one of the most successful racing cyclists on the planet, what do you do when you retire? If you're Sir Bradley Wiggins, you turn your eye to making a range of kids' bikes to inspire the next generation. And that's exactly what he's done in a team-up with Halfords. The new range comes out in September and is designed to get kids on a bike and enjoying outside and all it has to offer. But does Sir Bradley miss racing? What does he think of electric bikes? And just how did he use technology when he was in the saddle? I put all that and more to him when we caught up over the phone earlier this summer. I started by asking him why kids' bikes. Yeah, it's sort of the, sen- the second generation, really. We had the first generation that came out back end of um, 2016. Um, we've had a complete revamp, offered more models, um, took some out the range that we didn't think were needed or going as well. So it was a bit of tri- trial and error with the first range. Um, and we've just really met the demands of... Um, of what people actually wanted and they certainly wanted more colors um varying unisex options really so we didn't want to do sort of red for boys and pink for girls you know there's there's a it's it's sort of a unisex range where a family can go in and basically you know kind of everyone have what they want really um and and it's um i'm really happy with the outcome and so have you taken have you tried to sort of take learnings from your time on the bike to to make it easier for kids to learn not really, no. Um, or more through um, my own kids, really, and what they kind of liked in bikes growing up and stuff, really. Um, so my daughter would always want the same bike as my son, or she was never really a pink girl. Um, so there'd always be a fight. So you know, it was it was that kind of thing, really. You know, this sort of this is sort of you know kind of standard thing that girls have pink and boys have red or blue really so it was just sort of to, to break down that really so there was of equality in the whole thing the whole range um and and also to sort of have maybe the cheap you know certainly a, a good value bike on the market that didn't cost a fortune for the parents but had still good performance elements so weight you know, there was practicality certainly in in the balance bike for the kid with like things like a little handle under the seat. So if if a, if a parent's pushing a pram through, they could still kind of pick the bike up comfortably. So just all those little things that challenges parents have with maybe a toddler and, and and another kid. You know, so so just thinking about all those things. And obviously, you don't know all those things until you've tried to to do it yourself with kids. Sure, sure. And so with the bike range, it, it goes up to what looks like sort of teenagers. Were you tempted yeah. to then say, you know, if you're if if you're a child, you get get a Bradley Wiggins bike, you kind of cycle it, and then at the end you'll be like, well, I really like this bike. Why not go into sort of adult bikes as well? Because I wanted it to be grassroots and accessible to people, um, and I think if to uh, I want it to be good for what you're selling it for, and price competitive, so it's affordable. And I didn't, you know, once you start, because of my performance background, once you go into adult bikes, 
there becomes a huge price raise. And I don't want to just do a bike because unfortunately with bikes, you know, materials and things, you start getting into the realms of carbon fiber, et cetera, et cetera, which costs a lot of money. So then you start after selling bikes for you know, thousands of pounds. And then that wouldn't be enough for me. If I'm going to do something, I want to do the best from an elite point of view. And then you need development. And, and, and then, and then it's such a competitive world that the sort of elite end of bikes now and how much they cost and wind tunnel testing and all and I don't want to get back into the elite. I want to stay sort of at grass, which is why I will never have a team that wants to try and win the Tour de France. I have an under-23 team, which feeds the professional team. So everything I do is about grassroots and, and, and giving people opportunities and starting them off with the basics that have a quality edge that I've put on it with my name. So with that, do you think, obviously your team, Team Wiggins, Lacole, do you think you'll see a, a branded kids bike with that livery to sort of you know get people excited about being part of that team as well well we did we started doing that the, the bikes were the color of my hour record bike so it was very elitist you know and i've gone away from that now as i've retired because there's too much expectation put on kids you know like oh what maybe he's the next winner of the Tour of France <laughs> if he buys this bike and that and i think it's just it's got it's, it's not it's not about getting on a bike because they're going to be the next olympic champions my team is that but my Halfords range is just about getting kids out the house again and, 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 and trying to get them to fall in love with why I started cycling, which was when in Kilburn and, and the sense of freedom I have had when I got on that bike in terms of it took me out of the environment I lived in. And I used to go a bit further each day before I turned around and, you know, and, and it was just that sense of freedom that it gave me that I could, this bike could take me anywhere. And that's what this is about really. And, and, and providing a, a source for kids to, to, to discover that. And that might take them into a lifestyle of riding the bike socially, means of traveling to work, you know, overcoming mental health issues, anxiety, you know, problems they may have in the household in terms of getting out of the house rather than sitting on an iPad or something. So it's not about trying to find the next Tour de France winner for me now. Those, you know, it's not about that. I realize society now the way we live you know kids just need access to fundamental basics that we've lost interest in really through technology which is funny because i'm speaking to you about a technology gadget thing isn't it really yeah exactly and do you do you think i mean how obviously with your team from a, a professional level how how important is technology within the training yeah well it's is it that's the thing then it becomes so because it's not just about the bike then it's about um, you know, means of how you train and it becomes very, a whole different, it becomes a job then. And then it's completely gone away from what I've just been speaking about with that. So it's, it's when you, when you, when do you, when do you go on to that really? And obviously my team is an under 23 team and they go to the team skies of this world from there, but technology is a huge part. I mean, all our bikes now, the, the way the gears change, there's no cables anymore. It's all Bluetooth, um, and battery charged, um, that means the cranks have strain, strain gauges in them and are wireless to a head unit on the handlebars, which measures power output through the strain gauges. So heart rate used to be a means of training, but obviously heart rate can fluctuate through fatigue, illness, heat. Um, so it's not a consistent thing to train. So power became the means of training. So power always stays the same other than your physical capability, but heat and that doesn't affect it. So it became a more constant way of training. So power cranks now, as we call them, are all 
that's the means of training now. It's all about numbers. So you go out and say, okay, you need to do a 30 minute block at 350 watts, you know, rather than just going hard. So it, everything's so scientific now and, and and written out. And then obviously there's there's software on computers now. So as soon as you come back, it's wireless. Your box, that box will upload to a training software system called Training Peaks or something, which the coach then gets an email and can watch that session. So everything's done within five minutes. The coach on the other side of the world We'll see the session you've done, look through the whole thing with the power and say, great session, comment on it, and that's your job done for the day. You know, it's, it's all, it's, and that's, that becomes a daily routine then. So, you, you know, that's quite a way on from, from kids going into health and discovering and do, that. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and do you feel, do you wish you, you'd had that, that sort of insight, that it. data? And stuff it when came you along at a time, I was at one of the early, sort of um, guinea pigs of, of a lot of stuff really in the early 2000s um, so you know we tried all sorts of things you know kind of um, treadmills you know so we had a, a big running machine out of a gym so when we couldn't access in Manchester a one-hour coal in France we, we used to put bricks under the treadmill and ride it at a gradient and ride for an hour on a running machine uphill you know stuff like that to to, to replicate a an alpine climb say um, and then obviously lab testing, we used to have big bags that hanging from the ceiling, which you'd put a thing in your mouth and they'd take all your oxygen. That was a way of measuring VO2. Now it's all um, done through like a small thing that you put in your mouth that, you know, it's just, so you just have to collect the air into these great big balloon things, you know? Um, so it just, it's just moved on the sure, whole, sure. whole time, constantly moving on. Um, I mean, even now we used to go to wind tunnel, um, and obviously you have to sit in a wind tunnel static on a bike and change little bits to see. Now they've got on, they've got, I think on the latest time trial bikes now that's Team Ineos had last week, there's on board um, that collects the wind and it gives you your drag feedback instantly on your box as well now. So you could move your shoulders thing and it would, it, through the front forks, it gives you your instant drag reading back, you know, so, and, it, and that's in the field, live uh, analysis and, and, instant feedback whether so you go into a wind tunnel but then you might have certain set of results in a wind tunnel and then you go out into the field and you start pedaling and it changes everything do you know what i mean it's, you're not static anymore it's like formula one it's like formula one's moved on hasn't it you know the technology in formula one over 20 years has moved on immensely it sounds incredibly similar to uh i was talking to sir ben ainsley uh, a couple of years ago about the america's cup uh, another Ineos uh, supported sport now um, and they were talking about the concept of this idea of, of being able to determine the trim on a sail uh, which the data the sensors would take the data and then the data would transfer wow. halfway around the world it would manage what wow. the perfect trim would be and then send back the data to the the, the skipper to say well this is what you're doing really? this is what you could be achieving wow. you know it's up to you whether you decide to move <laughs> forward with yeah, that or I mean, not exactly what is happening uh, and also with that america's cup we saw last year they they started implementing um pedaling bikes on each side of the boat didn't they one of the new zealand team yeah rather than using their hands you know stuff like that so how do you see things, you know, certainly if you look at the tech scene in general from an exercise perspective and a bike perspective, you know, there's been a lot of uh, excitement about Peleon in uh, coming, you know, the company coming out of uh, San Francisco. That sort of idea of really trying to make cycling a subscription service to give you a, a computer at home. And what do, you, what do you think of that? Is that is that a good thing or should you just really 
Yeah, I went to the one in Covent Garden had a yeah. drive. The bike was was rubbish, um, but the technology and the, the the interaction with different instructors around the world and stuff is amazing. You know that technology. If they could just get a better bike, um, you know that that. Online, straight online, and, and you could be doing any class with anyone around the world and pick your face. It's, a, it's, it's much like Zwift has kind of captured um, people's imagination cycling, you know, with um, online, you know, racing each other from different parts of the country and stuff or different parts of the world. So maybe one day we could, we could, we could race you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm done. <laughs> you had your chance. Yeah. There's an hour record if you want. And so with with that also, from a technology point of view, we're seeing a, a quite a large increase in uh, e-bikes mm. uh, as well, which is kind of that idea of taking some of the power and, and, and effort, so yeah. to speak, of, of cycling. Do you, do you, is that kind of cheating, do you think? No, or is it... no, no. I think it's brilliant because, you know, a lot of people enjoy the benefits of cycling and the outdoors and the freedom it gives you, but they're just unable to do it through health reasons and sometimes and you know, it's a shame if someone's got heart problems or they're obese through illness or whatever, and and they just simply can't get up a hill or anything. Then I think these, for those people, they still enjoy the outdoors and the freedom and the sense of freedom that the bike gives you, without, you know, the the health risks involved. If they, you know, they've got pacemakers and things, you know, or, you know, just just it, it just gets them out the door. I mean. Half the reason a lot of people maybe won't go on a bike, I can't stand going up hills, bloody size of me and all that. And it's like, so but these e-bikes, it sort of starts you off and you get into it. You, you're still active, act, you know, active by riding an e-bike. It's not like you're sat on a moped. You know, you you, it, you can choose when you use the power. If you just, you know, if you, rather than having to walk up a hill and feel like terrible, you know, because I can't get up this hill. And it just gives you that. So it's still a, a sense of achievement for someone who, can't get out of the house maybe you know and i just think it has its place in society and i don't i don't think it's cheating at all there's nothing cheating really about you know i think we put yeah i mean if you want to you know if you want to go and beat blokes around richmond park and that then fair enough yeah but not everyone wants to do that some people just want to get out of the house and feel active so there take that. <laughs> a lot of people talk about cycling as 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 a way of, of being the savior of, of the eco city of, of kind of mm. reducing pollution, yeah. making yeah. it better, you know, obviously keeps you healthy, fit, etc. How do we, how do you go, how do we go about integrating bikes into our cities in a better way than a lot of fear, certainly in, in London is that, you know, you'll start cycling, you'll get hit by a big truck or something like that. How, how do you, how, how do we go about making cycling more approachable? I've no idea, to be honest. It's just London's a historic city, isn't it? The roads were built hundreds of years ago. We didn't build roads back then to accommodate Boris bikes and cars. Um, they're only a certain width, aren't they? So when they start putting cycle lanes in, it reduces the width of the vehicle's lane. And we just got to coexist, haven't we, really? And it seems at the moment that it's cyclists against vehicles, isn't it, really, in London especially, um, which is, you know... It, people have to accept that this is here to stay, isn't it? Um, and we have to coexist for everyone's future because things have to change. We can't, you know, the difference now amount of people cycling in London to 20 years ago when I was riding, it's, it's immense and it's a good thing. You know, people getting killed isn't obviously, but that's where people have to realise, you know, if every one of these people on bikes got in cars, then no one would be moving anywhere. Um, 
So we have to just coexist, you know, and get on with it. This is, you know, this is, we, we keep getting told all the time that the world's going to end and climate change and all this and pollution and someone's we've got to start doing something about it then if that's the case, you know. And we have, you know, there was a boom in cycling and people use, it's just obviously we're not, we're not set out like Amsterdam or Copenhagen. We don't have a culture of it, a historical culture of people commuting on bikes. Um, you know, they can rip historic buildings up in Denmark Street and put a whopping great tube station there. So I'm sure they can redesign the road somehow in the future so everyone can coexist. Now, a lot of people would be listening to this either walking their dog or on the way to, to work or even maybe cycling while they're, while they're sat on while, the toilet or maybe sat on the toilet as well do you have when you're training i presume you still like to cycle i presume you still know you're not no i don't i don't really at the moment no i like i like i just go out on my bike when i want to go out on my bike really for the for the pleasure where i live it's very quiet and that and, but i don't i don't I, I run more now um and i I, I I found the love of again of cycling. It became such a chore towards the end of my career, and I've rekindled my love of it. So I just I enjoy going out on my bike. I don't want to be raced by anyone. I don't want to go out of a group and have someone think they're getting a kick out. Of, you know, beat me up a hill. Now I've just got no ego as a cyclist anymore. It doesn't. I'm not competitive in, on a bike. But I just love riding my bike, and that set I reconnected with that sense of freedom it gave me. And I'll go out when I want to go out. I don't want to be forced to go out. I say, come on, I'd love to go out with the bike. It's like, no, go away. I'm going to go out when I want to go out. And I go out with my son or my wife, and that's it, really. And do you, do you, do you find there's a, when you run then, do you find there's a, a great track list? You know, have you got a certain song that either through your career when you were cycling or, or when you were running? No. That kind of, you know, right, no, this really gets me going. No. No. No, I don't, because um, where I run, obviously, I, I have to hear the cars and stuff coming, you know, around bends and that. Um, but I do have a, a Garmin GPS watch, which um, obviously is, is great now because it tells you your running speed and you know altitude climb and all that stuff, and which is great because it sort of gives you some sort of markers to your next run and how fit you're getting and all that. So there's still a little bit of technology in the sort of training. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of a bit, a bit in, I'm a bit institutionalised with technology, you know, because I it, it was my training tool daily was this box. So you know, um, I, I've always sort of it, I've always not been able to fly blind, as it were. I've always needed a, a guide, you know, as such, um, in front of me, that power. Or So even on my road bike, you know, I'll have a, a little Garmin or something just for, you know, because things like if I'm going out, I'll go two hours, I'll do two hours. You know, I don't just say, what time do I leave? Oh, five, five. I've done about two hours. I have to do two hours. If I can't do 1.55, you know, I'm, I was always quite, um, you know, two hours is two hours, you know. So I, I have to have a clock in front of me. I can't go blind, you know. A, a, you know, a young boy, a young girl has gone out and they've got a Bradley Wiggins bike. What hmm. piece of advice, having done such an epic career, would you give them to get going? Just bloody enjoy it. Yeah, don't let anyone put any pressure on you. If you don't enjoy what you do, then, you know, it's never going to go anywhere. You find the enjoyment for yourself, you know. I think that's that's it, really. And stuff technology. Avengers Endgame is the culmination of a decade of Marvel superhero movies that started with Iron Man in 2008 and temporarily finishes with Endgame. Yes, I know Spider-Man Far Away From Home comes after, as well as the numerous other MCU movies Disney has planned for us over the next decade. But we've decided to focus on the 23 films that introduced us to a range of characters from Hulk to Thor to Doctor Strange and many others from the mind of Stan Lee. 
While there are many ways to enjoy the movies, including certain orders to watch them in, we thought it'd be fun to see which three were our favourites. So, Pocket contributing editor Cam Bunton, who is a huge fan of the movies, has joined me to tell us why these next three that we're going to talk about are the ones to watch above and beyond the rest of them. Now, I know you're going to disagree with this. That's the idea, but this is fun. Stick with it, and it's going to be a laugh. So, go on then, Cam. Who gets bronze in this made-up superhero league, and why? Right, so... Can I just start off by saying how absolutely impossible it is to choose three it's films outrageous. from this? Because there's so many fantastic movies and so many great characters. So I'm trying to focus on uh, the ones that I would definitely want to watch again, having watched them the first time. And possibly some that have maybe introduced us to a slightly different edge of the Marvel Universe or a slightly different tone, rather than just being serious, all-action uh, movie. So in number three, I've actually put Captain Marvel, one of the more recent movies mm, starring. Interesting. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I found. I found her character to be really interesting. First of all, she's a woman, which is fantastic for the Marvel universe. That is mostly dominated by male superheroes. She doesn't need a love interest to make her interesting. She's really strong. Um, she's hard as nails, and she's basically the most powerful superhero in the Avengers by the time we get to the Avengers Endgame. So in terms of being a fantastic superhero, she's got everything nailed down. Um, it's a really interesting story with lots of nostalgia. Takes us back to the 90s when we had dial-up internet, uh, blockbuster video stores. It's really, it's just cool for people that grew up in that era to see that, all that stuff again. That's the cool thing for me and why I'm going to let you have that as bronze because purely just because of the 90s and all yeah. of that stuff. It's, you know, a really good nostalgia trip that kind of fits in nicely with everything else without ruining everything else. Yeah, exactly. And it, I think she as a character introduces something different to the, I guess, to the Avengers because she doesn't take any nonsense. She's not phased by anything. Uh, and she's got a quite a dry sense of humor, which is hard not to love. So um, I think it's a great movie, and I think she's a fantastic character for the series. Go on then. So what is Silver? Who gets second place in the CAM top three Marvel Universe films to watch? So number two, and I'm happy for anyone to disagree with me on this, but I've gone with the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Interesting choice. And the reason... That yeah, I think the reason is, again, a lot of it is down to nostalgia, I think, because it's got an incredible soundtrack because of his awesome mix volume one that he's got on his little Walkman that he carries around with him everywhere. And I think the way the movie starts with him dancing and singing and kicking those alien rats along the, the alien planet while he's performing this incredible mission to get hold of one of the stones, um, which I don't think he even knows what it is when he's going to get it. It's just really fun. And I think... His character is funny. Um, the team that he manages to assemble is really good fun as well. There's a good mix of comedy, uh, strength, and of course there's the the talking tree Groot, which who everybody loves. Uh, Rocket the raccoon, who's just, I think he's just hilarious. And then, of course, he's got that battle with Thanos's guys without actually Thanos being in the scene directly. So there's that that threat, even though he never seems to realise. I think that's what's funny about him. Quill never seems to realise how much danger he's in, uh, and yet he somehow somehow manages <laughs> to scrape out of everything. And I find I just found it really fun uh, compared to a lot of the others. I think that's why I would have it in there as number two. And I'm happy to hear what you thought of 
Guardians of the Galaxy too. Yeah, I, I, I think Guardians of the Galaxy. It was one. It was one I didn't enjoy to begin with, but I think over time, the more I've watched it, the more you kind of realise the the renaissance of it all. The sort of you know, it kind of fits in nicely. I was, yeah, I think it's. It wouldn't be in my top three initially, but I can see why it's there. I, I get why you've put it in there. So that's that's good. I'll let you have that one. That's fine. Oh, so sure. I know I'm kind of like that. So number one, what is if you're on a desert island, so to speak, and you're only allowed to take one Marvel movie with you to watch, obviously on your uh, your island that has internet connection and all the other stuff so you can stream <laughs> it, what do you, uh, which one are you going to take with you, Cam? Right, okay, so... This was the tricky thing for me, was that I think as movies, the last two Avengers movies, Infinity War and Endgame, were spectacular. Um, But I think it's almost impossible not to put Endgame as number one, because I think it's got everything. Because obviously it's got all the different characters in it, which who all add a different edge to the story. But I think there are some, as well as being an all-action, fantastic uh, special effects time travel you've got ant-man in there for some humor there's hulk who's become this different sort of character than what you've seen him before and then obviously thor is transformed into this lazy slob of a man um but also i think endgame has these really poignant emotional moments that make you tear up as well like with iron man and hawkeye so i think it's it's just got everything and obviously it brings the story to a sort of like you say a temporary close it's a really nice round off to 10 years of movies. I just think it's really well shot, really well written, and the characters in it are, are just brilliant. So I think Endgame has to be currently is my number one, and I would watch it over and over again just because it's such a great action movie for the Marvel cinematic universe and i suppose as, as you've alluded to there and i'm sure if you've listened to this you probably have watched it, it it's one of those movies where you can actually in theory you can watch it and watch all the other same movies at the same time because they kind of feature in that movie as well um it's an interesting choice i i think personally i would have gone with i i, I would have gone back to the beginning and said iron man uh was, was kind man. of my yeah, favorite i, would... I it's just yeah. it's so simple and and what I love is it's you know eleven years old now and it doesn't feel like it's dated at all. You know, there's the technology there is still you know the special effects yeah. and all the other stuff is still the same. I definitely agree with you. When I was trying to come up with my top three, I the in the top three I, I kept switching between Captain Marvel, Iron Man, um, there's Thor Ragnarok, which is again is a lot of fun, but also a fantastic action movie. There's that battle between him and his sister. Um, so this, I, like I said, there's so many great movies, and I do agree. I think Iron Man, the first Iron Man, was fantastic when it came out, and it's and it's still great when you watch it now. And I think if you're going to watch uh, important movies in the Marvel timeline that lead up to Endgame, the first Iron Man movie, of course, is one you you just can't miss it out because it's such a it's the beginning of everything. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Iron Man's a great movie. Now, with every ying, there has to be a yang. If there was one yeah. that you'd ask them to remake, uh, and I think we both know which one this is going to be, so you know we can put you out there. <laughs> what would you ask? Which one would you say? Might, can you go back and I do that again, choose, please? I would choose maybe a different one. I think I know we spoke before we started recording, but actually, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Mm. And the reason is, although I love Tom Holland's portrayal as Peter Parker, I think he's the the most complete and most engaging Spider-Man character that we've had to date. 
that part of it is fantastic. I just think that the actual story of Homecoming is really weak. Um, I I did not like Michael Keaton's character being given so much screen time and dedicated to how the vulture came to be because I felt like it was all leading up to something and then it was a bit of an anticlimax. Mm. So I just I didn't enjoy it as a story or a film. I'm afraid. For me, it has to be the Hulk. Right. Okay. The first Hulk. Yeah. The Hulk. When Mark Ruffalo came along and uh, became the Hulk, that was brilliant. But just Ed Norton in a shanty town in sort of San Paolo or wherever it is, just running away and trying to then hook up with Liv Tyler. Just it doesn't. Yeah. Just doesn't really actually, work for a story. Now that you say it, I think I actually I definitely agree with that one. I'm, I'm watching. Uh, yeah, the Incredible Hulk. I wish they'd done that one again. As well. I'm, I'm watching them through again uh, with my son at the moment, and we're we're following the Marvel Cinematic Universe order, and so I've gone right back to the beginning. So I'm watching Iron Man and stuff. We're kind of we're on Thor, and we're both like, "What is this Hulk thing? This is just really weird." <laughs> I mean, it makes yeah, sense right. later on when he turns back up, but you know, it's sort of as you watch through them you kind of it just feels very different from everything else that's it for this week if you've enjoyed the show can you please give us a five star rating on the podcast platform you're listening on it really will help raise our profile and let others know you liked it too until next friday pip pip Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 